0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippen. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today, we're talking financials. Today, we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today, we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. It's Thursday, and we are talking energy. I guess today is Jason Hall. Big news this morning. I- we talked about last week. President Trump tweeted about some some rumors that the Saudis and Russia could be cutting oil production. Well, today we got some official news on that after an OPEC Plus meeting this morning, which I think still may be ongoing. Uh, with reports suggesting that there is an agreement to cut 10 million barrels per day of oil. Jason, just high level, uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, this news so far?
1: Depends on on where you start. Uh, where you're counting how much oil is actually being cut, right? So, um, it's 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 a good sign. And I think it was kind of inevitable we were going to see some cuts. Um, tomorrow, I think we've got the G20 energy ministers are talking, so this is going to be ongoing for a little bit. Um, but I think the big thing that investors need to take away from this is, the market's still going to be just massively, massively oversupplied. Um, and it's it's going to be months and months of, of oversupply uh, I mean these a uh, 10 million barrel cut I don't know I think we figure that's what less than half of what the demand destruction alone should be um, you know I mean Delta Airlines said their revenue is going to be not down 90 percent uh, jets use a lot of fuel um, nobody in America is commuting to, to work anymore uh, I just read that something like uh, a third of American renters did not have not paid their rent in April. Um, yeah, this this doesn't, cha- this doesn't change the thesis, right? <laughs> it's going to get ugly.
0: Right. So, so, this cut of 10 million barrels per day, to your point, on uh, depends where you measure from. Uh, at least for the Saudis, this, this they're cutting 4 million barrels per day, or at least have agreed to. And This is off their record production levels in April. So, it's worth noting that when this price war first started, uh, the Saudis uh, announced that they were going to bump oil production up to around 13 million barrels per day. If you net out, uh, so those those increases of production from from what, where they agreed to cut, we're looking at around one one and a half million barrels per day cut from where we started the year. Uh, the Russians have announced they're going to cut two million barrels per day. This is against a backdrop of, as you mentioned, if if you look at the projections of the demand restructuring, we're going to look at it's anywhere from 20 million barrels per day to as high as 35. So we're we're looking at tens of millions of barrels each day that need to go into storage or need to go somewhere, and the market's going to have to adjust for that. One of these, the questions that that I have around this cut, is. Is uh, to what extent are we going to see compliance? I think in the past, Russia in particular has been notorious uh, for saying they're going to cut and then not necessarily complying. Uh, when you look at that, uh, any, any thoughts there on, on on how much of this is narrative and how much of this is going to be actual action by these countries?
1: So I, I think we're, we're probably going to see a little more action in this in this environment than we that we have when things are a little bit more normal. Just simply because I mean this is this is the de- demand destruction so bad that I think even, even Russia is going to run into problems with where, where to put the oil, right? So, I think, uh, you know, I've read some really interesting, some things over the past couple of weeks that talked about the tactics that Saudi Arabia has used over the past uh, roughly month to really, because this started out, of course, with Saudi Arabia really kind of going after Russia's production and the logistics of the way uh, oil gets moved. Uh, Saudi Arabia really targeted flooding, uh, in markets that that Russia uh, tends to target, to really kind of paint them into a corner with nowhere to put their oil, um, and that's and the and the the, the follow-on effect of that is is you know here in the U.S. Um, we've we've seen demand destruction create a situation where U.S. producers are you know by mid-May are going to be in the same 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 boat. There's just going to be nowhere to put all the oil, right? So I think we're going to see. Um, a little more of uh, these commitments being made simply because there's <laughs> there's nowhere to put the oil right so um, but I mean the bottom line is that Saudi Arabia's tack under the OPEC plus um, group which includes Russia as a, as a key producer has their, their their thought process in the past has been hey just getting Russia to say we're going to cut is a stabilizing factor whether the cuts actually happen or not um, but yeah I think if, if you look at you know where Saudi Arabia is going to be. I think they they they've agreed to like 8.3 million barrels a day in production, and that's about a million and a half down from where they were under the regime that expired at the end of March. Um, so the big four million they're talking about, as you as you alluded to, that's 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 from their production today, right? Where we where we think that they probably are today. Um, so that's so that's you know that's kind of where that is. But again, to the I want to put some context on. The demand destruction that we're seeing, and what 10 million really means. So, you know, a month ago or a couple of weeks ago, you know, we were hearing from some of the the big oil traders there that that kind of, you know, give a lot of information that the market kind of uses to price in oil. Um, you know, some of the the expectations were that 20 million barrel a day decline, and now the numbers are getting bigger. Um, but but 20 million barrels a day, that's that's essentially what Russia and Saudi Arabia combined to produce uh, on an average day last year so I mean we're talking about the number two and number three oil producers in the world behind the u s uh, all of their production is is falling off the market um, in demand and 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 like like you said you know there's even that up to thirty five million um, so here's the thing right so you take ten million off the market and again that's ten million from today. <laughs> We, you know so so it's really more like you know 6 or 7 million if you start pairing things back and looking at prior production levels i mean that's a bare fraction of of uh of of the demand destruction that we're going to see so think about the carry on effects of that so again think about the us you know uh, we're we're more or less on track to be out of storage in the us by mid may um so what 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 that means is that producers right now that are already Cash-starved because oil prices have fallen, you know, essentially 60 percent, and in some cases, uh, far more than 60 percent. They're going to take. They're going to get another hit uh, when some of these producers are going to be forced to shut in their production. In other words, they can't just cut capex and let the decline curve of the wells be the guide to push their production down. They're going to actually have to go turn off the taps, physically turn off the taps, cut off their cash flows even more. Because there's no, literally nowhere in the pipe for that oil, that oil to go. Um, so, you know, the the bottom line is that this again, I don't think it really changes the thesis or the trajectory. You know, it's going to lessen the pain for the big oil majors. It's going to lessen the pain down the road. Uh, but but let's let's get through April. Let's get through May. Let's get into June, the summer. Ideally, maybe the economy can start to open up people can start driving to work again. Some people, again, not everybody, some people, airline travel might start to open up a little bit, not much, because, you know, you got a lot of people that spend money to go on vacations that aren't going to have money to spend to go on vacations that are going to be concerned about international travel and being, you know, in a tube five miles in the air with 200 other people that could be sick. I mean, there's going to be a lot of cultural, you know, things and just, it's, it's not like somebody's going to flip the switch on June 1st and oil demand's going to shoot up another 20 million barrels, and, and and all the guys in West Texas are going to crank up their rigs and just start pumping oil again. There's going to still be, you know, tens of millions of, you know, maybe hundreds of millions of barrels of oil around the world in tanker ships and in storage facilities that's still going to have to be consumed before production can start to. To recover, right? And there's a lot of of independent producers. There's a lot of, you know, uh, independent uh, the 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 service companies, the guys that drill the wells, the guys that, that deliver the frac sand, and do all those other things that are going to run out of money, right? Um, you know, if you're if you're a if you're a banker in 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 West Texas, you're you're not answering the phone. When uh, when the executive from the already leveraged uh, independent oil producer calls you, so so things you know, I think things are going to get worse before they get better for the industry. Um, And this 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 it's the cuts good, it's a good sign, but it doesn't. I mean, for me, it doesn't really change the thesis, right?
0: Yeah, I agree with you completely. You look at some of these names. I've just just charted a few of them. Continental Resources up fifty percent, fifty six percent in the past five days. Occidental Petroleum up almost 30%. Antero Resources over a double uh, in the past 5 days. The thesis for these companies have not changed. These companies were were challenged before even before if before anyone had ever heard of coronavirus, these companies were challenged, heavily indebted, not producing cash flow. Uh this this is not thesis changing for these companies. This isn't a time to go look at oh the E&P companies this, they're they're going to they're going to rally back now. Uh, this is this is an area to avoid. I've said this in the past. I think the only clear beneficiaries from what's going on right now in the oil market, as you mentioned, Jason, are these tanker companies. And even then, uh, you know, they're they're notoriously volatile and tough to invest in. This is just a really really tough area to be involved in right now. Um, you know, <laughs> and and there is still some resistance. Uh, from some of these producers to, to cut production, they're saying, "Hey, we, we don't want to, you know, we want to let let kind of decline curves roll off, that sort of thing." I think Occidental Petroleum specifically has called out, "We don't want the government uh, to, to limit the amount we can produce." So uh, we'll just have to see with these guys. This is not a time to jump in uh, to oil stocks by any stretch of the imagination. I just want to reiterate that as much as possible. Now, when it comes to jumping in oil stocks, though, uh, there's uh, there was news as well yesterday, also uh, uh, from from the Saudis that they had that their public investment fund had invested a billion dollars in a basket of European oil majors, including Total, Equinor, Shell, and e- and, um, and So, Jason, when you see this, obviously the Saudis ha- do have some inside information here on what cuts were going to come down the line. Throwing a billion dollars into the into these major oil companies, uh, what is your reaction to that?
1: So a couple things. The, the the sovereign wealth, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund. I, know, I think it has what 300 billion dollars or so in investments. Yep. So that's that's a third of a percent. Um, it's not like they've gone big here. Yeah, a billion is big, but as a as a percentage of those assets, it's not it's not a ton of money. Um, and you know one of things, too is that that, that that over the past few years, there's the idea that that the sovereign wealth fund was going to focus more on technology and 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 help kind of be a driver to start. You know, creating the 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 future of what the Saudi economy is going to look like, um, and it's still doing that to a large extent. But here's the bottom line: uh, if you if you look in the oil patch, you know, if you're if you're an investor, you know, you 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 if, right now is a great time to focus on what you understand and what you know, right? Because if you know a certain business or a certain market or a certain industry well, now's the time you can find the best bargains, right? The best opportunities to grow your returns when the market is down. And I think what they're doing is is they're 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 saying, look, you know, shells down by half. It's a great business. It's it's a you know, they have the a massive amount of cash. Uh, they have a strong natural gas business that's still gonna be, you know, pretty viable even as as this plays out. The petrochemicals business is pretty good. Um, and we we probably know what their production costs are better than 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 that a lot of people that work for Shell know, um, <clears throat> so so they're saying you know we can buy a, a, an asset at half price and you know in a few years the vet we're going to realize some value there. So I think that's that's part of it. I think the other part of it is you you notably you don't see Exxon Mobil, you don't see Chevron, uh, you don't see any American um, super majors as part of these investments. Uh, the, the 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 relationship. You know, the US buys a ton of, of, of oil from, from the Middle East, not as much as we used to. But Europe buys a lot more. So I think that's more of a kind of a political signaling of of where their interests are than uh than anything else. But I don't think it really represents some major strategic shift uh for how Saudi's gonna invest its money. Um I think it's just a smart tactical move to take advantage of 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 the beaten-down assets that are, are the ones that are gonna generate positive returns with the least amount of risk. From the sector, so I think that's that's an important thing to remember for as an investor. <clears throat> if you're just dead set on owning something in the oil st- in the oil patch and taking advantage of the downturn, uh, and actually I wrote about this, had an article called "Our Oil Stocks Cheaper Value Traps" uh, that we just um <clears throat> that we just ran yesterday, um, and I suggest you take a look at it. Um, but it highlights the fact that right now in this segment uh, of the business, the best move to make. Is to find the companies that can avoid um, failing. Right? You want to protect the downside first. So the strong, well-capitalized, the businesses that have the best access to capital, that have you know some some diversity in their operations. Um, so you avoid those stairs by investing in companies that you know that, that, that just frankly they may they may they may fail because they run out of money. Um, then you can. Capture, capture, return. So I think that's that's essentially what they're doing.
0: Yeah, one other thing I'll mention. We mentioned the importance of the narrative earlier. So saying the Russians will cut, even if they even if they might not necessarily comply. You can see how this billion dollar investment is incredibly powerful for the narrative that that oil prices are going to be supported and that that sort of thing. Uh, just just that report that the Saudis are, are buying these oil stocks. I think gave a lot of people uh, this signal that hey, maybe maybe I can go in and buy. So so whether I th- I think I think those companies. Uh, across the board, uh, share those characteristics you mentioned, of they have balance sheets to survive, that sort of thing. But as well, I think this move is, is very powerful for the narrative uh, that the Saudis are trying to put out uh, as well. One other big investment, and we may not have deep thoughts here, but it is quite interesting, uh, is the Saudis bought an eight eight 8.2% of the common stock outstanding in Carnival Corp., the cruise line. Obviously, the cruise lines have been suffering majorly uh, as a result of of this coronavirus. A lot of these, you know, virus-laden ships. Floating around, uh, floating around the, the, the oceans across the world, and that's driven down a lot of the uh, the stock prices. The Saudis jumping into Carnival. Uh, <laughs> well, what do you think about that move, Jason?
1: Um, I, I have very little of, of value to yeah. to say here. I think I think you know. So first, first of all, cruise lines, airlines, hotels. These are, these are all industries that are just getting pummeled right now, right? And it. It's, it's it's gonna it's gonna take some time i think you're gonna see you know a lot of hotels are probably gonna bounce back faster than the others because it's a little you know it's 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 cheaper uh it's it's a more important business spend where businesses are gonna start uh spending for travel a little bit more uh but just i i think the cruise the cruise lines are really just gonna have a tough time a tough time bouncing back but so so you think about uh so so what do they what do they invest like six eight hundred million somewhere around there. Um again it's it's a it's a it's a bare fraction of, of that Saudi Wealth Fund. And Carnival's one of the bigger, more well known brands in that space. So, you know, maybe call it a flyer. Right. <laughs> so but I'm not it's it's I think there's still too much risk that, that 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 uh uh yeah it's not a space I'm looking to go after. Yeah,
0: it's not a space I would pile in and if you know I <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily use the Saudi Public Investment Fund as my signal of places to buy into. Uh, if you look at their track record, it hasn't necessarily been uh, the best in the world. But quite interesting uh, that, that somebody is, is believing in a, in a significant way uh, in Carnival. The other big, uh, big move, and this is away from the energy space, uh, but Warren Buffett, uh, news came out last week that he had sold down his stakes in Delta and uh, Southwest. Now this is interesting anytime the Buffett buys or sells a stock it's interesting, but it's particularly interesting because this came i believe less than a month or just over a month uh after Warren Buffett had increased his stakes uh in delta so uh when you see Warren Buffett selling the airlines here
1: uh reaction to that i think the big the biggest lesson uh investors can take away from this is even the the best investors in the world um are are subject to Unforeseen events and can can get it wrong sometimes, right? This is you know you know sure a month or so ago, six weeks ago, you could say well you know this coronavirus thing is going to be pretty bad, um, but but the, the I think the full implications were really hard to to really understand in terms of what it would mean for the airline industry. Um, so the the point is that, that 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 you know it's it's if it's going to happen to Buffett, it's going to happen to you, and that's okay. So don't get too caught up in being precise with your investments and thinking you have to get Everything, everything right now, in terms of the selling, it's you know a couple things um, again i'm just i'm I just spitballing this a little bit um, I, you know I think part part of it could be uh, you know there's different rules for different industries uh, for owning more than ten percent of a company, right? in terms of what you have to disclose. But also, I know, like, with the banking industry, uh, you have to make these disclosures about being a passive investor, and it really limits uh, your ability to have an influence. Um, And and so, that's one of the reasons that Berkshires routinely sold shares of Wells Fargo over the past few years, is to stay below that 10% threshold, because Wells Fargo has been aggressively repurchasing shares so, to Berkshire's had to sell to, to, to kind of stay behold, below that threshold. So I just I can't help but wonder if 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 and again it may not be Buffett right. It could be um, uh, Ted or Todd uh, who manage you know between the two of them probably forty or fifty billion dollars of of Berkshire investor capital now. Um, Uh, Just, just maybe they're thinking, you know, we really need to stay below that ten percent threshold. If, especially if there could be maybe there's going to be uh, government bailout money or anything like that. I mean, there just could be other implications, and uh, they may just think it may just be a safer place right now to stay below those thresholds um, right now. So, just, just making a guess.
0: Yeah, it's worth noting that 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 um, that ten percent threshold is the only reason we know about this transaction at all. because if you're a, if you're a 10 percent or greater holder, your regulations require you to disclose uh, sales and for for all other transactions. We're not going to know what what Berkshire Hathaway has done until 45 days after the end of the quarter when their 13F filing comes out. So that should be around May 15th, uh, I believe, and when we'll know all the rest of the transactions that they've done, that have taken place. I will say one thing about you know Buffett selling. and I think it's a value, you mentioned some valuable lessons for that uh, when it comes to not always being right, and also it's admitting when you're wrong, and I think Buffett has done a good job of that in the past. You look at his IBM investment, you look at a number of other investments he's made in the past, he's not afraid to, to admit when he is wrong and cut his losses and move on and redeploy that capital to more, more attractive opportunities, and I think that's the, those are that's something that we can learn from as individual investors as well. I uh, want to move on uh, to a couple listener questions. Uh, we got a number of questions about the Brookfield Infrastructure Corporation. Conversion uh, that came or spin out uh, that came uh, in the past recent week. So, so I read a question from Ed. Ed says I've been a Motley Fool subscriber since 2005 and have been a listener of all of your podcasts since day one. Thanks for the great podcast. Well, thank you, Ed. Uh, he's, uh, he said he's owned Brookfield Infrastructure Partners for a while now. Originally bought a small portion during the financial crisis and have added more in recent years. His question is on the unit split that just happened in March. Uh, are they so? Are investors supposed to receive one share of Brookfield uh, Infrastructure Corporation for every nine years of? Uh, excuse me, for every nine shares of Brookfield Infrastructure Partners they own, uh, Jason. Just high level. What What are the details of this spinoff? Why is it happening?
1: Yeah, so that's that's exactly how it reads. Uh, the uh, Brookfield explains it: for every nine units of BIP, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. Uh, an investor owns. They'll receive one share of BIPC, which is Brookfield Infrastructure Corporation. Um, and any any fractional shares, you just get the, you get that paid out in in cash. So the short version is that the motivation behind this spinoff uh, is that. Uh, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners is a publicly traded partnership. It, 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 often you'll read about it and it's called an MLP. It's not exactly an MLP, but for, for our purposes, it's, it's, it's basically the same thing. There's, just, there's more limits on who will and who can invest in, in an MLP. Uh, some institutional investors have rules in place, um, often for tax reasons. Uh, a lot of indices uh, do not include uh, MLPs. Um, and again, <laughs> honestly, a lot of times it's for it's for because of the tax implications. If the if there are ETFs or mutual funds uh, that track those those indices, um, some brokerages uh, won't and let won't even let investors buy uh, MLP units uh, inside retirement accounts uh, because of tax consequences. There's something called UBTI. It stands for unrelated business taxable income. Uh, there's there's situations where you could actually end up having to pay income tax uh, on an investment inside of your retirement account uh, with these with these uh, partnerships. So by creating BIPC Brookfield sidesteps all those tax implications and and the other things that that, that they limit the investor pool. So this this should increase the size of the investor pool uh, that that consider. Uh, the, the corporate BIPC to be an appropriate investment. Uh, now, by doing it as a spinoff and awarding existing investors an equivalent stake in shares of BIPC, uh, it makes it a non-taxable event. So, it's just a little bit cleaner way to do it that way. Um, each share of BIPC is economically equivalent to BIP. So. Dollar for dollar, I mean, they're they're essentially the same thing. But the difference boils down to tax consequences. If you own BIP now, you're you're getting the dreaded K one. It's just a complicated tax document. It's kind of a pain in the butt when tax season comes. Uh, your tax that you could, you, you, it's just it's just it's not a lot of fun to deal with. Uh, versus a ten ninety nine. Uh, that BIPC will send out that's like the, the dividends that you get from like if you own Coca-cola or new corporation or something like that. So it's a lot cleaner, it's easier. It also means all those problems with owning it inside of a retirement account should go away. So that's that's the that's the short version right there. It's something that a lot of people have been kind of asking for for a long time. Uh, Brookfield has has been steadfast that 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 its partnerships are fine to own in retirement accounts because they don't pay. The UBTI, but again, some brokerages my wife's Merrill Lynch um, retirement account can't buy can't can't buy it in uh, BIP inside of that, so um, it, it's going to be nice now for for me as personally to uh, to be able to take advantage of it
0: right and this is something Brookfield is doing across its portfolio right I mean I know they did the, the Brookfield property REIT to go with with the the, the BPR uh, MLP I think they're doing right. the same thing with with Brookfield Renewable is that correct?
1: Yeah, Brookfield Renewable Partners—that's BEP—they're uh, planning to do the same thing later this year. Uh, the, the the Brookfield Renewable and Terraform Power uh, ticker T E R P. Uh, Brookfield Renewable already owned almost seventy percent of Terraform Power. Uh, they just struck a deal to buy the rest of it. Um, and Terraform Power is just a, just a corporation, uh, so there were some s- substantial potential implications for existing Terraform Power shareholders um, if, if they did not do something like this. So, so, later this summer, once the Terraform Power deal is ready to close, they're going to do the same thing with Brookfield Renewable Partners. Um, I think it's a, it's, a good, uh, it's a good move for everyone. I know we had a, 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 one of our listeners, Brian, asked about trading out with Brookfield Infrastructure, his, 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 his MLP, his BIP share units, and buying BIPC shares. Um, um, and and I think that's a reasonable. I'm planning. I'm planning to do that, um, in my solo four hundred one k. Um, simply because I don't want to have to deal with the K one. So you know, without having trading fees, it's a little more. You know, you don't have as much friction and cost to do it. Um, so I know it's. I'm I'm planning on doing it. Since it's inside the retirement account, the the capital gains. I I won't have to pay any taxes. Um, so yeah, I think it's a reasonable move for people to consider. Um, just shifting over to BIPC inside of those retirement vehicles. Um, now, if you own it in a taxable account, um, I think you have to be careful about deciding just to sell the partnership to flip into, your, into the corporate shares, because you're, if, if, the, if, you've, if you've made money on the share price, you're still going to have to pay taxes on your, on your capital gains. So, just everybody should think about those implications before you do anything.
0: We can't give personal tax advice, but I think in that case, definitely talk to a tax advisor. Absolutely, uh, to, to to figure out uh, you know your your tax potential tax liability and how that uh, could affect you. You know, I just I know Brookfield Infrastructure is a personal holding of yours, Jason. When you when you look at it right now, this is a stock that's sold off almost fifty percent. Has rallied back now uh, in the past uh, in the past you know month or so. When you look at when you look at the stock today, it's still attractive uh, at this price.
1: I think I think so. It's still down, you know, about 20% or so. It's uh, it's 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 one of the few businesses in my in my personal portfolio, Brookfield Infrastructure and Brookfield Renewable um, that that I really look at is, is kind of you know buy just about any time investments. The 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 people at Brookfield are so good at allocating capital. These are res- recession resistant businesses. They generate really steady cash flows. They're really good at at getting great returns. They're disciplined about allocating and reinvesting capital. Uh, I mean, anytime time you can buy it you know, 20% less than the price it traded for you know, a month and a half ago, I, I think it's, it's, it's worth buying.
0: Yeah, you mentioned recession-resistant businesses, reminds me, and I know you're working on an article about some recession-resistant companies. I know a lot of our listeners are probably looking uh, for, for stocks that they can buy and kind of set and forget during these kind of uncertain times. Uh, other than the Brookfield ones, any companies that come to mind for you that folks should be considering?
1: Yeah, so I think you know if you start dabbling a little bit um, outside of the 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 you have to when when you talk recession resistance you have to get out of the oil patch first of all you can't you know a lot of these uh, those businesses are are going to struggle I think I think it's also worth looking at Nextera Energy Partners um, is is a good one to look at Nextera Energy it's it's or uh, it's its parent company is the is a major utility uh, they own Florida Power and Light uh, Nextera Energy Partners uh, does uh, produces a lot of wind and solar. Um, energy and own some natural gas um, assets. So again, those are those are businesses that are pretty good. I think one to, one to look at is waste management. Uh, our colleague Tyler Crow has touted that business. Uh, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna feel some impact with so many businesses shuttered right now. Um, this is just a kind of a weird one-off event, but I think the vast majority of its revenues and cash flows should prove pretty steady and stable. And uh, it's definitely the kind of business that you you want to kind of own um, on on both sides of uh, of a major downturn. What about you? I'm sure you got you got one or two you wanna you wanna kick out there, Nick.
0: Oh gosh, yeah. So so I would say um, put me on the spot <laughs> that put, you, um, that put, you put on me the spot. On the, put me on the spot. No, uh, so so I would say uh, right now. Um, I think I always think uh, you know you mentioned the, the other Brookfield partnerships. I think Brookfield Asset Management. Be one to look at. uh, You know, gets exposure to all those. One, one that I like that's maybe a little bit more niche, kind of a financial company is Broadridge Financial, ticker BR. This is a company that is a technology company, but primarily in the in the financial space. They uh, they do electronic uh, delivery of proxy statements and uh, other kind of regulatory uh, filings that companies have to send out to shareholders. They're required to by law, and they really dominate that segment of the market. They also have a product. That has gotten some traction, obviously, in recent weeks uh, for uh, remote um, shareholder meetings. So this is a business that, that has a dominant position, uh, providing a service a service that companies are required to deliver, whether or not the economy is good or not. If you're a publicly traded company, you must uh, you must deliver um, um, these these uh, these. In regulatory filings, uh, and so they have a strong position there. I think that's, that's a it's a company that's going to do pretty well in this environment. Two percent dividend yield uh, has had some decent growth over the past several years. So that that's one I, w- I would be paying attention to. Uh, so so I, so I think th- those are the couple. I think the Brookfield companies. I think Brook. Uh, I think um, Broadridge is one, and I always like Mastercard. That, that's one you might say that it, it's. You could say that it is going to be affected by the recession in some capacity, with spending going down. However, we're probably going to see more spending go digital. And I think this is a company with great management and it's got a massive tailwind behind it. So, I think any of the payments companies, I think MasterCard is probably my favorite one of the big two between Visa and MasterCard.
1: It's interesting you say that. I agree with everything you've said. I think it's also just such a cash-efficient business, that even with declines and people going to stores and swiping cards and that kind of stuff. It's still, it's still going to be a cash cow. And I think it's an interesting thing about what's happening. I think in a lot of places where cash has been king, this ex- helps accelerate uh, the, the shift to, to electronic and um, you know cashless payments. So, so I think in the long run, this could be an interesting catalyst. Uh, here's what I'm going to throw one more out there. I'm going to throw one more. We talked a lot about Warren Buffett. We talked a lot about Berkshire. Berkshire, Hathaway trades for like 1.1 times book value. It's down about 15 percent. Um, it's it's stock portfolio is down a lot more than 15%. So there's, you know, there's I think there's some some pinup value from a business that also has a massive hoard of cash um, that, that 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 it is probably going to deploy a substantial amount of this year. Um, I, I think now is actually I sold my Berkshire stake about three years ago. It's it's one of my top two or three that I'm looking at buying right now. It's it's and I think it's one people should really be should really be thinking about. Yeah, I think I think that's a good one. I, uh, I'll give you um, I'll give
0: you uh, one one last one that I think is interesting, uh, and it's it's <laughs> pretty recession says so is Massimo, right? So Massimo is is the company that makes uh, these sensors for these uh, these oxygenation uh, sensors when you when you go to the doctor's office and they clip the thing on your um, on your finger that tests uh, your your blood oxygen level. That that's a company that that has been taking market share in that sector. Uh, for years and years and years uh, it's one of, one of these whenever whenever uh, these devices the older devices uh, leave their their useful life Massimo captures much of the much of the the replacement market and uh, people are st- people are probably going to the hospital more than ever uh, these days but uh, regardless of that uh, it's, it's a company that has a dominant share in the, in this really important uh, components that's one that's been on my watch list have not bought yet uh, but that is my 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 uh, my fault. I should I should have owned it a long time ago.
1: Fair, fair enough. I'll leave I'll leave you with uh, I'll leave you with the last word on the on the picks, Nick. Nice job. Well 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 well, <laughs> well thanks. I do my, do my best. Um, all right, folks. That's that's all for
0: us today. Just a reminder that the Molly Fool is closed on Friday for the Good Friday market holiday. So there will be no Friday tech show this week. But check back on Monday. Jason Moser will be back for another episode of Industry Focus Financials. Jason, as always, thank you for joining us and uh, have a great Easter weekend.
1: Same to you, my friend. Have a good, happy,
0: uh, good Friday, everybody. Talk to you soon. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on.